Welcome everyone to episode two of Brown and Black. I'm Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent, and he is brown, and I am black. And today we're going to be talking about sort of what everyone's really been talking about is how do I get out of this? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And what should we be getting out of this? What are we learning and what are we seeing? What has become immediately apparent in this COVID situation that we're in? Exactly. We're going to be talking about the pressures of having to be productive during COVID. Uh, Shouldn't we be relaxing? Also, how has racism been exposed in the COVID era, right, Mike? Not only has it been exposed, but like there's a divide that's really been revealed, a divide between what I would call the intelligent and the conscientious and the ignorant and the self-absorbed. That's a whole thing along with, because I consider racism to be an ignorance, so... That's a whole thing we're going to get to talk about as well. Mm, yeah, we're definitely got to talk about that. Also, we'll be talking about the profit machine of America. Where is it hyperly located? Is it sports, corporate America, both, many more? Uh, AMC theaters versus Hollywood studios. Who's ultimately being affected? The business or us? What else we got, Mike? The difference between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation. And what we've touched upon before is that blind spot that a lot of white folks have about themselves. Exactly. And a good example of that is the latest incident with Chrissy Teigen and uh, chef, columnist, recipe writer, Allison Allison Roman, Roman. who uh, has created some uh, scuttle buckets out there in social media. So we'll be talking about that. Plus the fact that Disney spent $75 million to get the rights from Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton that was supposed to come out next year, 2021. Well, they're now putting it on Disney Plus. On July 3rd, we'll talk about whether that's a good move or a bad move. Oh, Mike, it's been crazy crazy the last several months obviously i've been reading so much that i think i'm gonna have a brain aneurysm there's been a lot going on uh i'm full of dread i'm full of optimism uh i'm full of so many complicated emotions uh and i just recently stopped uh lecturing um my course uh, it came to an end just past this past wednesday and now i'm just fascinated with the educational system and all the information about the transformation of the educational system, which we can get into at some point uh, later on, but it's it. I've been I've been healthy. I've been well. Um, but I'm not gonna tell you that I haven't had some tough days. How have things been with you? Well, you know, it's interesting because for me, uh, you know, I feel like I've lived the quarantine lifestyle before. But, <laughs> you know, like I was, you know, being I've been home, self-isolating I've for been the last for, two decades, forever. Jack. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been an interesting time, you know, clearly doing a lot more. Like I was on like last week, I was I did more time on camera than I have when before this, you know, we're doing Zoom and uh, crowd cast and all these different platforms I've been on. But, you know, interestingly enough, I had something happen to me that is a very 21st century thing to have happen. I got Zoom bombed. 
Wait, wh- what? What? First of all, what is Zoom bombed? Is is that is, is that like a photo bomb but on Zoom? Ah, uh, it is in the sense that a photo bomb generally means that someone's kind of ruined your photo. Okay, Zoom bomb is like whatever it is you got going on. People come in to try and ruin it. So yes. That's exactly what Zoom bombing is. But, so how did you get this guy out or this Well, out? okay. Well, yeah, well I, I tend to always feel like it's some guy because Zoom bombing is generally they're doing something racist. Sometimes they do something where they're... Yeah, but women can be racist too. Uh, yes, they can, as uh, we will get to talk about later. But... <laughs> Alison Roman. Yeah, Alison Roman. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but here's what happened. I was, I was moderating a panel... Uh, at Hampton University uh, for students, graduating students who, who are film, uh, either film students or, or film, you know, there's a course in film criticism. So I'm moderating this whole panel and it's all about filmmaking and film criticism and whatnot. And it's also the contributions of people of color. So in the title of whatever it was, uh, uh, this panel is the word black African-American was in there. And I only mention that because after getting Zoom bombed, and I'll tell you what that experience was, I had to wonder, how do these people find, like, how do they find the black conversation and then decide they're going to Zoom bomb it? Wait, so uh, what I'm hearing from you is that racism is now percolating and circulating within Zoom. I've been reading about it for a while, but uh, I just experienced it for the first time. So basically what happens is this. We're doing the thing where everybody's introducing, the kids are starting to introduce themselves, it's going along fine, then all of a sudden the screen gets taken over. Now, if you know Zoom, you can share your screen with somebody. Anybody can share their screen with everybody. Well, what happens is Zoom bombers, and again, these are people who clearly have hacking abilities. They clearly have some kind of... They're hackers. They have some kind of intelligence, okay? Even if it's not about being human. And so they hack in, they take over the screen, and they start scrawling the N-word. Then music starts playing and what they've done and they've taken time they've sampled a bunch of songs with the with the n-word in it so you just hear you know right and then they put laugh tracks over it and so you hear people and you hear a beat and it's like it's it's an assault on your senses because it's loud it's over modulated your screen's taken over and first you don't know what's going on like what happened can somebody turn off their screen and then when the n-word comes up you start to realize oh my goodness we're being zoom bombed so they had to shut down the zoom conference and then they restarted it why do you think all this stuff is happening and zoom of all places mike well you know i i think it's not that it's it's happening i think that this is this has always been happening i think that we live in a society that is inherently racist and, and, you know, it's interesting. I went to look up the word inherent. And inherent is an adjective. It means existing in something as a permanent, essential characteristic attribute. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's what racism is in our country. I mean, all the things we're going to talk about, you're going to see how there's an inherent racism, whether it's conscious or unconscious. So to me, I think it's just, you know, you're sitting at home, you know, uh, you, you could be productive. You could relax or you could start scanning for anything black or, or, or people of color and Zoom bomb them and, and try and ruin their day. Uh, so to me, I, I, I see all these things that we see happening. What's, what's happening with Alison Roman and Chrissy Teigen? It's a result of a culture 
that is inherently racist. So for those of you that don't know what's going on with the Allison Roman thing, you and I had talked about this because it's perfect for the Brown and Black podcast. Um, Allison Roman is a New York Times columnist who discusses how to prepare food. And uh, she has a nice little fan base. Just recently read that there's a... Uh, a lesbian fan base around Allison Roman. And Chrissy Teigen has been a fan too. She supported her. I think Allison was going to do a uh, a food show right. that Chrissy Teigen was going to executive produce. So you can only imagine when the headlines came out that Roman and Teigen were at war through social media. But it look, this isn't just regular gossip. This is these micro racist prejudice discriminatory racial aggressions that occur that are so subconscious in 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 white people white liberals that and you've and I have had the conversation about this before but it it ultimately deters us from achieving the positions in society that our skills that our intellectuality and that our experiences should allow us to achieve. So Alison Roman decided to go after Tegan and Marie Kondo for essentially being sellouts. And I think she was referring more or more along the lines of consumerism where she did an interview with this guy at this new uh, newsletter called The New Consumer where she essentially said, hey, I'm in this business for real, for the real reasons, for the real purity reasons of the food. Marie Kondo and Chrissy Teigen are there to just be mercenaries and sell out and, 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 and make money, something that I disagree with. That's, that's a hater's attitude right there. Well, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on this because you brought this to my attention. I really had no idea. And, and I'll, just, I'll just hit a couple of quick things. Like one, to be a chef, to be a, a cook, to be someone who introduces cuisines, to sell cookbooks, generally, just like being a musician, because I can relate it to music. You take a little from this, you take a little from that, you learn about this culture, cooking, you learn about that. She uses a lot of Asian culture, let's just say, in her, her meals and her dishes and her preparations, which she's been kind of taken to task for. The things she said, they weren't microaggressions. On the one hand, she's definitely doing like she's being a hater. She's being a hater to two women who are successful in the field she's in, which is ridiculous and immature. And it says a lot about her as a person. Two, for her to be blind to the fact that she's trying to take down these two women of color. How many women are successful in any industry, period? And then women of color and for her to be so blind to it, yet she's in the game. To, for you to be in the game and then not know any of the rules of the game is a lot of, again, Dingo's kidneys. So uh, the way I look at it is she was unconscious. She didn't realize how privileged she was to be getting interviewed, to be quoted, to be doing what she does for a living. She just took it all for granted and, and wanted more. She only has 60,000 followers and Tegan has 12, almost 13 million so she's hating on Chrissy Teigen. If you contextualize it now, coming to the inherent racism, you know, and you talked about the educational system, that's something I feel that comes into play too. You know, they, they recently banned these books in Alaska, and, and it's been happening all over the country, where they ban these books that deal with racism and, and, and sexism and things like that. Oh, that's been going on since the beginning of uh, the American history. Exactly. Man. So, so what does that do, though? No, it makes you insignificant. It devalues your humanity. It devalues your role 
in a community. It devalues your sense of being in existence, Mike. This is what's been going on throughout American history, but let's be honest. Where do you think Americans really come from? Europe. There it is. That's where the inherent racism part comes in. To me, yes. not only does it devalue us, but for those who, let's just say, are the have those ancestors, even if they feel they're they're you know they're not doing anything, to not have an awareness of that, to 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 not have it as part of your awareness, to not be aware of how inherently racist the culture you live in, is in my opinion, the essence of white privilege. You have the privilege to not have to notice, to not have to realize, to not have to pay attention to what you say. You can say whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. And that, I think, is, is part of what fuels things like this happening. Yeah, that, that, that's just my take. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, but I also think it brings to light bigger issues um, that have to do with cultural appropriation in the restaurant business. How many white people, white chefs, female or male, have gone to Europe, Latin America, Asia, and essentially taking their culinary traditions, uh, translated it to white American culinaries, and created their own recipes based out of centuries of culinary perfection uh, from these other cultures, and then they start generating money from these other dishes and try to make it out as if they created it. And so that issue is in itself massive. And then you include the fact that how many black food critics are there? How many Latinx food critics are there in the United States as a whole, on the New York Times, on the Washington Post. We don't have them, Mike. So how are we supposed to talk about our foods, our grandmother's recipe, when none of these newspapers will take that unless it's a white food critic talking about it or a white columnist chef talking about it? Dude, absolutely. As a matter of fact, everything you describe could be applied to film and could be applied to music. Exactly. And the fact that it's being applied to the culinary industry just shows you how inherent. insidious and inherent it is throughout all of it. And that a spat like this uh, between a white chef and an Asian celebrity um, would bring up these things because we all have known it to be true. It's just that it's these stories that allow us to finally have the discussion about. It. Sure. And the other thing is that you did you didn't mention here is that she didn't only take down Chrissy Teigen. She also took down Marie Kondo. Yeah. OK, now, how can anybody who's looking to promote themselves, who's looking to have who has a brand talk about selling out? The whole concept of Marie Kondo and tidying up is about minimalism, yet. By removing stuff from your house, she's also selling you items to put back in your house. So that's a form of hypocrisy. But yeah, what about you, Allison? Didn't you go to Vietnam on a food uh, trip and then took those dishes, came back to America and transformed it into a uh, book and a TV show that you started doing? So the hypocrisy is there on, on everyone's side that is a business person. And I, if you're living in a capitalistic country... To a certain sense, it's your right to create a business out of something that you put effort into, even if that means pillaging, stealing from somebody else. Um, yeah, I have an approach with, with that, but can you blame a capitalist for trying to make some money? 
I love to do this. You know, if you look up the word hypocrisy, it's it's a practice of claiming to have moral standards of beliefs, which one's behavior does not conform. So, or, or in short, pretense. So for her to be trying to get further in this industry and then to look at somebody else who's gotten further and then to question or criticize them is, is ludicrous. And I think Allison's going to take a big hit from this. Um, there's already people that have canceled her out. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not even sure if she's going to be able to make it out of this COVID you know, experience. All right. We, we will, we will fi- find out, but I don't think so. I think she'll survive this, as a matter of fact, because I went on her Twitter and in between all the people who are taking her down, which are mostly, you know, women of color, of course, uh, there is still, oh, I love you anyway, Allison. I love your content. I'm going to buy more of your books. There's still people well, who. That's gonna, like a Trump supporter, man. I was just going to say. <laughs> so there's a base that you will never lose. That's that's what I, I think. I think she will have lost that crossover appeal. Okay, but I think there's a base she will never lose. I think that the thing to take away from this Allison, Roman, Chrissy Teigen spat is that at least Allison, unlike others, admitted it. She admitted that she had these defects and that she wanted to improve them and to erase them from her life and become a better person for it. And I think that the apology sort of detailed all that out. And that's the most that you can expect, because we all know that 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 today's generation of white Americans, um, they feel that they've are distant enough from the history of slavery and racism to not have to be shunned by minority communities that they feel like it's like if you're blaming me, you're blaming the wrong person. You know, that's history. Blame history. But what we what she doesn't know is that these are things that are been handed down from generation to generation is the way you consume media, the way you listen to podcasts, the articles that you read. They're all coming from one dominant culture, mostly. And most of the information that she's getting is mostly her own uh, culture and mentality. So how is she improving? How is she becoming better? And for her to say that, I I thought it was at least a redeeming quality that gives me hope, you know, at least. Well, I'll say this. I I think, you know, she ultimately give a more heartfelt apology, but her first reaction, her first apology was utter trash. As a matter of fact, I'm (laughs) I'm just going to be straight. She was utter trash, and it spoke (laughs) even deeper of who she really is. You know, if she transforms from this if she shuts or as they say stf uh uh, and just takes it all in hopefully maybe okay i never knew who she was i was not a fan nor a critic of her uh but she's definitely not gonna i i will not be following her on twitter let's put it like that mike the last couple of months have driven me crazy uh, because I've been so stressed out of having to be productive that I started thinking recently that I had a personality disorder, man. Um, and it's affected me negatively, even though I've been achieving a lot. So let me summarize what's been going on. I started a lecture course at Montclair State University. They called me up. They said if I wanted to be an adjunct professor for entertainment journalism, and I thought I'd fit perfectly for that. 
Now, I had never taught in my life before, so this was already an onerous task. Um, I had to create a syllabus from scratch. Um, I had to then know how to teach already. Um, And then halfway through the semester, COVID hit and we had to go online. So then I had to learn the technology around that and try to be as engaging as a professor as I can with my students. And um, dude, that wasn't easy. That wasn't easy. That was a full-time job I was giving in about 50 hours a week for. Because the first year is always that learning curve. While this is happening, you and I are launching Brown and Black Podcast, and that obviously takes time. Um, still, I'm still doing the highly relevant podcast, the Jesse Terrero one, not too long ago. And then I developed a new self-isolated quarantine uh, show called The Q that is already on its third episode. So you add this, the consumer 101 responsibilities I have, and the need to learn and the need to be inspired, and I am constantly on my screen. Dude, it's like... I am working more than I feel like I have ever worked in my life. And I think that me thinking that I have a personality disorder was like legitimate until recently I started Googling productivity, COVID-19, and I started seeing all these articles of people that are going through the same exact thing. Have you been feeling any burnout productivity? In the last couple Dude, of months. Okay, please. Are you kidding? Okay. Uh, I, yes, I, I, I do two radio shows. Uh, we've been trying to launch this thing. I still do this other short podcast uh, once a week. So that's that's doing all of that. Then I'm teaching a course as well. Uh, and I'm and I've I'm like the coordinator. I had to create the syllabus. And again, you know how this all goes. Uh, and then we had to switch over to Zoom. So I had to kind of learn that, then get everybody else on board and, and coordinate it. So yeah, and then on top of that, like I, I've, I've got a couple other projects, a screenplay I'm working on. I'm getting paid to Right. So, yeah. And you got family responsibilities. responsibilities And and then I have friends who are like, hey, dude, let's let's talk. Let's Let's catch catch up. up. I'm like, I don't have time to catch up. What are you talking about? So, 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 yes, I do. And and if you have this, if this is a what do you call it? A a defect or a disorder? What do you say? You know, I feel like it's been a personality disorder. But what really comes down to, Mike, is the world that we live in how we've been conditioned since we're young that we had to create this optimized life where every minute is needs the function to be efficient. Uh, if we take a walk just to kind of get away from the screen that we've been looking at for, you know, eight hours, we have then to put a podcast that's 30 minutes to listen to while we walk. So, no, there is no minute that we feel we can have to ourselves because someone else, and this is what sports teaches us, this is what business teaches us, this is what capitalism teaches us in this country, that you should not rest. Rest is for losers. Rest is for procrastinators. Rest is for the lazy. And we can't have lazy people in America because if you are, then we're going to shame you to death. So there, the pressure to constantly deliver, to achieve, is so intense that, Mike, think about it. You go to a party, and what's the first thing that someone asks you? They go, what are you doing here? You never go to parties. No, I'm kidding. What? <laughs> 
I'm sure some hot young redhead oh, yeah. will tell you. Hot, hot, I get hey. swarmed by them. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you. So what do you do? And that question right there is one of the most stressful questions to answer when you're in transition, when you've lost a job, when you're going through a divorce, when you are uh, have been laid off, furloughed, whatever it may be. That one question put the pressure on so intensely that it was hard to to come out of it. And so... I have been a victim of that. And I recently noticed how after my course was done, bro, I just didn't feel the need to create anymore. I said, I am going to force myself to not do anything and feel good about it. My experience is slightly different, but I understand because for me, the question is not what do you do? Because I've always had multiple lives. So depending on where I am, like, yes, well, I'm this, I'm a graphic designer. Oh, well, I'm a... you know, a film critic, uh, I'm a radio host, I'm a filmmaker, what, you know, whatever life I happen to be stepping in at the time. But the question for me that does exactly what you're talking about, when, especially when there's things going on, somebody goes, how are you? Now, do I lie and say, oh, I'm fine, everything's great? Do I actually say, because they don't really want to know. It's just like a... I was just going to say that. want to know how you are. People don't don't really really want to know. They just don't know what else to say to break the ice. That transition from stranger to acquaintance. So I love the title there you you, you threw out there. The Optimized Life. Okay, I like that concept. There is that pressure, I think. And whether it's pressure to perform, to be productive. I've had friends who, like, they got it early. Like, they just, like... They want to chill. They they got their big screen TV, and that's what they do. They got a job, big screen TV, they're good to go. But why do they have such an okay relationship, such a peaceful relationship with being unproductive Still, the way I, corporate America wants us to? I have the same disease you do. That's all I could say. <laughs> so. Look, there's this new documentary. Well, it's not so new anymore, but uh, it's fairly new. It's called The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. And the whole concept of this documentary is about... Winning is about intensity. It, it should have been called America because Michael Jordan is America's identity. It's a man that's driven so much by winning and by being so overly productive that he suffered burnout, Mike. Had to leave, go to baseball, take a year off, and then come back. And then revive his body to play like that again. I mean, this is a man that was consumed by competition. And so if you look at that and you look at the history of America and you look at our society today and you look at the amount of mental health issues that there are, it really comes down to this. It comes down to the fact that people don't give two shits about who you are in this world. They only care about the value that you bring to this world. And so the constant need to have to perform up to that value of people's standards of you, especially in successful clicks, is really saying that if you don't provide any value, then you as a person don't have any value. So we become prisoners of that concept and that mentality and that brainwashing and conditioning 
that ultimately gives us this sense of inferiority when we're not doing something. And all I want to tell everybody is this. Take, if there's ever a time to take a time out, to take a sabbatical, to take a moment of rest, a week, two weeks, damn it, a month, recover. Because what you're going to, how that's going to help you in the future is going to be everything. You're going to have more clarity. You're going to have the strength. You're going to have the energy. And you're going to have the creative genius to be able to perform for longer periods. But you got to take these breaks, Mike. And that's what I that's what I learned. Well, you know, you also mentioned how we've become a culture that every moment has to be filled with something. People yeah. don't people don't even get to relate. It's like you're in a, if you get in a an elevator, and I don't know how people are gonna be getting in elevators in the future with the COVID thing, but when you get in an elevator, everybody's like looking at their phone. I'll never forget this image once. This is a couple of years ago. I went to a screening, packed screening, and Something happened, the, the, the film stopped, and they were like, oh, okay, we're fixing it. And I turned around, I was going to go to the bathroom, and I turned around, and all you saw was a sea of blue-lit faces. Everybody had pulled out their phone wow. in that moment to fill it. And, and interestingly enough, that's what Quibi is. It's like, okay, no more, don't check your Instagram post and see how many likes you have. Watch 10 minutes of this, fill your time. And what you're really saying is... Yeah, with garbage. Yeah, stop. Don't say Quibi's garbage now. But <laughs> uh, but what you're, what you're saying, and, and I agree, is when do you stop and just take stock of where you are, where you've been, where you want to go? You know, generally, we only do it around our birthdays or New Year's, where you're like, oh, what do I, my New Year's resolutions, what I didn't do last year, I want to do this year. I think you're right. I think this could be seen... As an opportunity now, of course, depending on your financial situation, that's a whole other conversation. But this is still an opportunity, like you said, to take stock. If you're climbing, you can't just wait till you get to the top of the mountain to, to look out. You have to stop at a ledge and go, okay, wow, I came this far. You know, a lot of this conversation reminds me of this article that came out in Vox recently by uh, Audrey Hirsch that talked about friendships. There was one moment where she said that the millennial generation is probably gonna be the loneliest generation because they don't really connect, they're constantly on their phones, right? And they said that in order for you to make real meaningful relationships, which we've lost the art of doing, in order to create real meaningful relationships, you have to spend 50 hours from the moment you meet a stranger for, I don't know, a, a period of six months. You have to spend 50 hours with them to be able to call them an acquaintance. And in order to call them a friend, you have to spend about 90 hours with them. And at that point, your body, your, your brain starts registering that this is more than just a regular acquaintance, that you get along with this person, you want to spend more time with them, and that you can call them a friend and call them at four in the morning and say, I had this problem. And I thought that was really interesting because how are we managing our productivity hours to create productive relationships in our lives that will last long. And the biggest thing out of this COVID thing that's coming out is this isolation issue. So we're now finally seeing the breakdown of the results of so many years since 2007 when social media was introduced of how much time we spent on our screen that we haven't spent with people. We've lost the art of writing a note. Writing is now like some ancient relic, you know, that was given to the Renaissance Italians. But no one's writing anymore. No one's speaking anymore. I had a, a trainer who told me one day, he was 22, he says, I can't have a meaningful relationship, uh, a girlfriend. I go, why? He goes, every time I go to a nightclub, 
They'd rather be on their phones than talk to a guy. And you could only talk to them through that. So it's a huge wake-up call for the life extension of the human race. What happens if we continue at this rate of being isolated and not communicating and not having any meaningful friendships in the long term? I would like to read that article because I have a lot of thoughts on that, so I won't go off too much. But I do think it's interesting because, A, I think we have different kinds of friendships. You talk about writing. The kind of friendship you have, let's say back when people had pen pals, that was a certain kind of friendship. You wrote letters to each other. And writing, that type of writing was thoughtful and took time and, and, you know, you could take the time. You're in a different place when you read it, when you get from someone. And people have fallen in love or many people fell in love through letters or sustained their relationship through through letters before we had the communication we have now. That's one. And two, now phones, FaceTime, Zoom, that's the only way people have been able to stay in touch. So, like you said, how much time do we make for those friendships or those relationships or or those acquaintances to grow? Will you meet anybody new during a pandemic? Will you get to know anybody any better during a pandemic? I I don't know. I'm curious what will happen with dating once we get out of this. I'm I'm just I'm curious. <laughs> oh man, that's a whole <laughs> yeah, that's other a whole conversation. Other conversation. <laughs> What's your thought? So much money was spent acquiring Hamilton, which is an interesting cultural phenomena in itself. The, the reappropriation of a certain amount of American culture into a different culture and being expressed through a different type of music. What do you think of the fact that it's going to come in July 3rd in people's homes versus what they thought was going to be this giant rollout? Listen, the whole, the whole entertainment media structure... Um, is being tested in a way that, honestly, you, you can't even really compare uh, none of the recessions or 9-11 uh, compared to this. Uh, even, even Hollywood had probably their biggest boost post the war. Um, I remember Frank Sinatra became Frank Sinatra during World War II. So we're being tested in, in a way that we've never been tested. And I think that Hamilton coming out on July 3rd, when it should have been coming out in theaters as a big event, that's not happening anymore. These big event, tentpole events at the Chinese Grom Theater, it's going to be happening at home. And we all got to get used to that. I think that there's a structure of people of a particular age bracket of executives in, in media that are 50 and over that honestly, they hate digital. They hate streaming. If you look at any of these upfronts uh, recently, these live stream upfronts of these television ad networks and these salespeople, they're treating linear TV, which is just regular television, they're treating that as the standard. And streaming apps like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu as extensions. So they don't even give them the credit to be either equal or superior today than television. And these are the people that are not allowing us to move into the future because they're doing everything they can, Mike, to maintain the status quo. Television is doing it. Sports is doing it. Major League Baseball just announced a July 4th opening date. 
Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, said in two weeks he wants to discuss training and how the rest of the season is going to look like. Um, South Korea already opened up baseball. Uh, Australia, I think, in the Premier. Germany is opening up the Bundesliga for soccer. Um, and so there's such a pressure, Mike, from everybody to deliver some sort of profit that Disney said, we got Hamilton. Why wait till then? It's already been recorded. It doesn't need a new director or a new rewrite. It's a masterpiece. Bring it in. We can stop the bleeding until the next show that we get. I think that it makes a lot of sense. And what you're talking about, these people who don't want to embrace, I feel I can liken it to when the internet came along. You know, I remember being at Junkets in the early 2000s and they didn't know where to stick them. They were like the bastard stepchild. And, and you know, they, they weren't TV. They weren't, uh, you know, print. They weren't radio. Uh, stick them in with the radio here. Stick some. Now, online is everything. O- online is king. It's global. It's not local. It's not. It's not major market. It's. It's. You know, your numbers can be measured. A lot of things have led us to where we are now. Netflix and and iTunes ha- have led us to people and and you know Spotify. People streaming as opposed to buying records. People not owning, keeping it in the cloud. Uh, you know, I think that's clearly the future. You know, I, I think I don't remember if we talked about it on the show. At one point, my dad's. TV. He had an old school, you know, projection TV and it died finally. You know, it was an old rear projection. And I went to get uh-huh. him a TV and, you know, they were, by the time I got to him and said, look, I picked out a couple of things, they were sold out. You know, so giant screen TVs, everybody's been buying them like crazy. So everybody's got a nice home system now. And that is the future. I think you're right. I think that this event. Uh, I think the way we consume materials, we've been cannibalizing the theatrical for a long time. I think AMC, uh, you know, going to war with Universal and saying they're not going to release their films because, you know, they, they, they went ahead and released uh, Trolls without, you know, having it in theaters and they thought it was going to become theaters. And now uh, Amazon's talking about buying AMC. That tells you everything. Yeah, man, I heard that news, which is why I feel that Quibi has lost such an incredible opportunity to have done something major. There's a lot of questions about Quibi, man, in particular. Uh, I know you spoke to Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, about, you know, the technology and other aspects. You can probably talk about that. But I feel like the lesson learned from Quibi is if you don't have something that is absolutely a must-have, then spending two, three billion dollars in the in the way that Quibi, you know, got, uh, and then faulting COVID for it is 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 garbage because you should have had great programming already installed in there. I mean, they have no Spanish language programming, which look, I'm Latinx, but I don't watch Spanish language programming with fervor. Uh, but if it's done well, I'll watch it. Um, but to not have any black shows or international shows, but everything is like mostly white American shows, it's a fail, man, because you can't read the room, can't read who the number one movie going demographic in the United States is, you can't read how Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians and so many other, you know, the way television looks like. 
I can't really argue that. I, I think it's interesting. I think they, they made an attempt. They have a show called Free Ray Sean, which is really a, a, a movie that was broken up into parts. And I interviewed the writer of that. And, and when I spoke to Jeffrey, I did ask him that question. From a business standpoint, if, not that you had a crystal ball, but if you knew there was going to be a situation where people were going to be trapped at home and not have the same kind of time, would you have launched Quibi the same or any differently? It's so hard to, you know, that sort of woulda, coulda, shoulda. I'm not good at that stuff. I mean, the fact is we made the best decision we could given the information we had at that moment in time. Um, The circumstances that we are in are regrettable. I'm not going to say to you that I regret it um, because we're learning every day. This has been invaluable for us. We have millions of people who have downloaded the app. Um, you know, we've got tons of people that are on the platform every day watching a lot of content. And frankly, it's a learning curve for us and we're, it's invaluable. So is this ideal? No. Uh, is it working? Yes. Is it going to make us better and stronger and, and, and a better offering for our customers sooner? Absolutely. I, I think it was based on a lifestyle we had what he was going after and like filling in those gaps that those moments you were talking about before. And now that we don't have those moments and our lifestyle is changed, you know, we're still consuming on our phones and our iPads and our computers, uh, you know, and, and whether they think TV's the gold standard, I think that, you know, the, if you read articles, cord cutting has reached an all time high during this COVID thing. The, the consumer, the 25 to, to 45 to, to 50, you know, the largest consumer, they stream, they watch it anywhere, you know, they watch it you know, while you're cooking dinner, while you're, it's in the background. I mean, multitasking is, we live in that age. We're in the age of multitasking. I don't, I know so many people that they watch a movie. I I can't watch a movie with them. They'll talk throughout the movie. They're doing things, you know, I I, I can't even do it. It's like, what the hell? Like we're watching the movie, watch the movie. It's absolutely crazy, man. Well, we should probably tell people what we're doing in the next couple of episodes. Some big news coming up yes, from us. Yes, We're excited to bring to you a five-part series on the future of the entertainment and media industry and how race is playing a role in the advancement of minorities in media and entertainment. And so as we discuss this, we're going to break it down into how the restaurant business is doing, how... Uh, certain sectors in society are holding up, which ones are collapsing, which ones aren't. How's our world going to look like in 2021? How will we be educating people this year in the fall? So there's so many questions that that you, me, and everyone else has. We thought that to kind of break it down, deconstruct it into these uh, five episodes here on Brown and Black. Absolutely. And one of the reasons I enjoy doing the show with you, I mean, you are the host of Consumer 101. So consumerism, the broad definition of that, it's not just buying stuff, but it's what we consume. We consume media, and that means music, sports, movies, TV, how much of it we consume. Right. How does it influence what we're going to consume more of? What does it tell us about who we are? That's the deep dive. I can't wait for that episode. <laughs> I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm, I'm, I'm completely with it. 
And with that said, my name is Jack Rico, and he's Mike Sargent. He is brown, and I'm black. And this is the Brown and Black Podcast. See you next week. ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.